Uh, Merry almost Christmas to you. I love this time of year. I'm all about the Christmas carols playing as soon as possible. Uh, for those who, came, who we, we had the, the privilege of having over our place for Thanksgiving, as soon as the meal was over, we're putting on Christmas music, and I'm, I'm blasting any chance I get. I thought the band, you guys did a great job. Can we thank them for, for playing such a wonderful set of Christmas carols? Uh, Impact 2019, uh, be thinking about it, be praying about it. Uh, one of our values here as a church, if, you, if you're new and you're, and you're coming to uh, the welcome lunch afterwards, you'll hear more about our values. One of our values is to be a, to be a community that is generous. We want to build into our DNA from the very beginning, before we are even yet self-sustaining as a church. Uh, we want to be uh, in faith, giving into things that we feel like the Lord would want us to be uh, pouring into financially to the extent we can. So we want to augment our abilities to uh, fund local, uh, national, and uh, as you saw there on that video, uh, global outreach initiatives. But the only way that we're going to reach that humble slash ambitious goal of 25000 is if we as a church family uh, uh, decide that, hey, we want to we really give to this. So, so be praying about that. Be thinking about that. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 26 through uh, 38. For those of you guys who've been, been uh, uh, with us for a little bit, um, we are z- uh, zeroing back in the, the gospel of Luke to, um, to back uh, to the Christmas story, which we skipped over in our, in our series that we just ended, Walking with Jesus, uh, because obviously we wanted to use this season to kind of really celebrate what's going on with the, with, with the Christmas message. The Christmas message, that is the true Christmas message, is really a message of subversion. It's an upside-down, flip-things-on-its-head message of, subver- of subversion, which I think we can easily miss in the way that our society tends to celebrate. So, I mean, this is even nothing to say with, like, you know, about the Santa Claus and the consumerism that, that is uh, fun, we enjoy. But even take, for instance, the nativity scenes that go up this time of year. Uh, we're rocking a few in our house. We've got all the little figur- figurines up. It's, it's a lot of fun. But even those nativity scenes can be misleading to what the true message of Christmas is all about. I mean, you have these little figurines of Joseph with his well-manicured beard and, you know, these shepherds who are really clean-cut looking. But for the life of me, I never understood why the shepherds don't, like the artists don't depict flies buzzing around their heads. Because first century shepherds would have been I don't want to say nasty because I don't want to imply that they're, you know, hygienically nasty. I mean, it would like smelly the whole bit. And in the, in the meanwhile, uh, there's Mary generally in the, in the middle of it all, hands cussed, you know, with kind of Mona Lisa type smile and just uh, hunched over looking all docile like. Um, I don't know about you. When I see those nativity scenes, I think, oh, Christmas is so nice. Christmas is so cute. Um, this is not to knock those nativity scenes, but they miss the real message of Christmas, and that is it's, it's, it's a message of subversion. When the prophets and, and Bible writers uh, looking ahead spoke of what Christmas would be, they likened it to light coming into darkness. Uh, Matthew, in his account, puts it this way, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, that's wonderful news. We all love light. We all love the, the goodness that light brings. But the only way light is helpful, the only way light is good, is if it occupies space that was otherwise dark. The message of Christmas is subversive. It's saying that in the world, and not even just out there, but in our lives, there's darkness. The message of Christmas is God on a rescue mission. 
The message of Christmas is, is the subversive, uh, not what we would normally see if we just pay attention to how our, our society celebrates it. And so all the more, I think, uh, I, I'm excited about this, these next few weeks, these next four weeks, looking back at some of the real behind-the-scenes Christmas stories that we have in the Bible preserved for us as we do this anticipation series, uh, looking at the, 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 tr- the true meaning of Christmas and understanding how it is relevant and practical in our lives today. So today we start with Mary's story. Uh, Mary's story is just so wonderful. We have all these details about uh, what happened in her life, which leads a lot of historical scholars to believe that Luke, our our writer, uh, somehow knew Mary and interviewed her to, to get all this information. Um, so we have these, 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 this, this wonderful story here preserved for us, but we must ask the question, a question that we ask basically every week of, well, if this is God's word, why is it here for us today? Like, what is, what is, the, what is the meaning? What is the purpose for us to consider? Here's what I think it is, uh, why it's here for us. Well, I'll state it, and then we'll, we'll unpack it together. So it seems to me we have this story here in its, in its form because Mary is being held up uh, as a model of what responsive Christian faith looks like. Um, we're going to see how she's a model of, of what uh, of, uh, the of a responsive Christian faith and what what that looks like, um, and, and consider that uh, today as we as she was the first recipient not only of the first Christmas news but of of the good news of Jesus of the gospel. So how did she re, uh, respond to the Christmas message and what what do we learn from it? If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Luke one uh, starting in verse twenty six. We'll work our way through here. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. So in the sixth month, Luke writes, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, uh, mother of John the Baptist, who would be a cousin of of Jesus. In in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I want to I notice with some, uh, something with you that I find really interesting here, something really out of the ordinary. And by the way, I'm not talking about you know, the angel showing up. Okay? That's pretty out of the ordinary. We can all understand that. There's something else that's really interesting out of the ordinary that you, would probably, you, you probably see if you have read uh, any of the uh, accounts in the Bible of whenever angels show up. Whenever angels show up to people, what's the first thing out of their mouth? Like, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. You know, don't wet your pants. You know, everything's going to be okay. And it makes me think that they had this, like, angeling 101 class that they said, hey, the first thing out of your mouth, whenever you see a human being, needs to be don't freak out. Because if you don't say that, they're not going to hear a word of anything else you say to them. But that's not what the angel says here at least starting out. He doesn't, he doesn't open that way. Um, what's interesting, it says, Mary was greatly troubled, verse 29, but not at his appearance and not at his presence. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at what? The angel's words. Um, and by the way, not the words, don't be afraid. Again, he didn't open with that. His words were this, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's not the first time she would have heard those words. Those words actually were in pretty common use back then. Those were used, words used in, a greeting, in, in greetings to dignitaries. Therefore, Mary was wondering, had to be wondering, that maybe this guy got the wrong person. Um, 
what, how we see Mary first responding to this first Christmas message is she, number one, pondered. Uh, she was pondering these words, wondering what could be. Look, in a society, uh, in the society that Mary was in back then, uh, she was essentially a nobody. Okay, uh, and there's a number of reasons we could see, even taking just just looking at this text, some of the details here. For instance, it says that she was from Nazareth, uh, verse 26. I've never really done a deep dive on Nazareth as a, as a pastor, as a preacher. I figured, hey, you know, that we're studying this. I'll look at it this week. I did a deep dive on Nazareth. You want to know what's remarkable about Nazareth? Is that essentially it's unremarkable. There's nothing really big about Nazareth. It's, it's not a big town. Well, David, what's, what does that matter? Why is it, why is it, no big de- why is it a big deal that, that Mary's from Nazareth? I'm from a town, uh, Albany. Have any of you guys heard of Albany? Not Albany, New York. Okay, now let me try it again. Anybody heard of Albany? Okay, I still have one. Okay, a couple hands, okay? It's, it's in the East Bay. It's, and not like, you know, out over the hills, East Bay. We're talking like right nestled in between Berkeley and Richmond, Albany. Actually, there's another town, El Cerrito, which you might know. Albany is this one-mile square, itty-bitty town that nobody knows anything about unless you've lived, like, within, uh, the, you know, anywhere, like, five miles from that spot. I was talking to someone even last week from Fremont, never heard of Albany. Um, and so I go around. I never say, hey, where, where are you from? I never say Albany. Because I've done that. People are like, oh, New York? No, no, Albany. And I'm having this whole conversation. I just say Berkeley, as I'm from Berkeley, which, incidentally, I went to school, too. So I am from Berkeley. But anyways, uh, I, I don't do that because people, uh, um, here's what's interesting to me. Like, in our society today, as highly mobile as it is, as highly individualistic it, as it is today, you guys don't care a lick about me. It doesn't matter if I say I'm from Albany or Berkeley or San Francisco. It doesn't really matter. But think of Mary's culture back then, 2,000 years ago when everything had to do with basically where you're from, with what family you're in, what region you were part of, your whole identity was wrapped up in where you were from. Um, and people didn't really care much for Nazareth. In fact, you know, Jesus is known for be, as being Jesus of Nazareth. One of his would-be then disciples, when he first met uh, Jesus, he said, this guy's coming from Nazareth. Nazareth. What, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that was the popular opinion back then. So Mary was just this essentially nobody in that sense. It also says, verse 27, a few times that, she's a, that she was a virgin pledged to be married to a man. If you haven't heard this before, scholars tell us that this likely meant she was about 14 years old, at most 18 years old, but, but most of them are like, no, but that probably means more on the 14-year-old side, which here she is getting this pretty amazing news, however you slice it, as a 14-year-old? Could you imagine this wonderful news going to, like, you know, the middle school down the street and saying, hey, I, middle schoolers, we love you, we care for you, you know, but just think about that, like, the, 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 you know, how big of a thought that is. And then there's the awkward yet profoundly wonderful thing that Mary was a woman, female. David, where are you going with that one? Remember, this was in a day and age when women essentially had zero rights, We've talked about this a few times uh, at different points when we look at the scriptures. Women didn't have any testimony, credibility in the court of law. Their, their testimony wasn't even listened to, let alone, like, uh, uh, it, it would just was, it would let them thrown out. They just weren't listened to. And yet, God is spending all this time with his angel coming and speaking to Mary and talking about this, these things. You might say, well, what about, you know, well, didn't he kind of have to work with a woman if he's going to bring a baby into the world? Like, what, what the... We don't have this big story about Joseph. I mean, we're told that Joseph got the news, but he's not a big 
he's not really, this story here is all about Mary and God's interaction with her and the beauty that's going on there. It's no wonder then that Mary was wondering at these words, um, wondering, greatly troubled, wondering what kind of greeting this might be. She was pondering what all this meant. She was taking it into her heart, asking the question, me, highly favored by the most high? Um, she, was, she was wondering at how this was all going to play out, and she and, and, and uh, taking this all into her heart. What she was discovering, and what we discover through her, is that God loves and cares for those whom society tends to look over or down upon. She was finding that God really loves people who the society, for the most part, looks over or down upon. And you know, this, this, this little boy that she would have, this, this savior of the world that would grow up and be known as Jesus of Nazareth, on every page of the Bible, of every account that we have of him, this is what he was doing. He was hanging out with people that society back then just didn't care a lick for. If anything, rejected them. Jesus was always hanging out with the sick. He was always hanging out with, with the lame, the blind, Spiritually speaking, he was hanging out with the people that society literally dubbed the sinners. He hung out with the prostitutes. And then he hung out with folks like, like widows and so forth. That Jesus was all about hanging out with people that society would otherwise uh, look down upon or, or just not think about to begin with. And yet, Mary's pondering all these things. It gets better. Look at verse 30, uh, 30 and, and, and beyond. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Think about how Mary is, must have been processing all of this. She's discovering that God loves her and cares for her, even though she's essentially a nobody in society's thinking. But now she's seeing that she's being included in God's plan. God doesn't just love and care for those that society just looks over, looks down upon. He chooses to use and include them as a part of his loving plan. And of course, that's in Jesus, this, son of, this, this man of Nazareth. It's in his story on every page as well. Who are the people he spent all his time pouring into, equipping so he could send them out? These 12 disciples, these 12 students of his were essentially all blue-collar dudes. They weren't from, they weren't, he didn't go out to like the religious elite and like say, hey, I want you on my team. He didn't go over to the people who had like, you know, royalty and say, hey, well, you know, let's use your clout here. In the same way, Mary, the angel didn't go to a princess. The angel didn't go to somebody who had a high, you know, this, some great pedigree. He went to a humble, unassuming Mary. And he was through that making a, an incredible message, not only to her, but to us through her. And she pondered that. She was working that through. This is where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as played out starting in, in Christmas, really, in, in, as far as it articulating in Jesus' life, this is where the gospel starts in our hearts. It starts with us pondering the wonderful news that God loves us, that God cares for us. It's a, it, 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 it should stir in our hearts a response of, really, me? To which God would always, will always answer, yes, you. I love you. I care for you. And I want to I use you and include you in part of 
part of my story of love and rescue for, for the world. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced just this sense of wonder? I'm, I'm not deserving, um, but, but realizing that's really what, what God is speaking into your life through Jesus, that, that he loves you, he cares for you. So first, she pondered. Second, we see in verse 34, uh, she considered. It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? She's, she's considering here. I, I love this about Mary, and for that matter, the Bible. We see no, there, there is no suggestion here to say that Mary is just choosing to have blind faith. Right? There's no suggestion here that Mary is, hey, you just need to believe what you're told and suck it up. Don't ask any of those questions. Here she's asking a question. She's working through what? Doubt. I love that's, that that's in the Bible. And, you know, we'll look at it here in a minute. How does the angel respond? Not really troubled by that. He's good. He moves forward, and we'll see how, how wonderful that is in a second. You know, the readers of Luke 1 actually have a real fun insight into this, because if you turn back in your Bibles, we don't have time to look at this all today, but if you turn back in your Bibles, you'll see a story of an angel showing up to Zechariah, who would be the father of John the Baptist, incidentally, uh, the, the husband of Elizabeth, you know, verse 26 of our text. The angel showed up to Zechariah and said, hey, you're going to have, even in your old age with Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. And you know how Zechariah responds there? Oh, no, I'm not, how, how can I know? And you know what happens in that case? The angel gets kind of miffed up. What, hold on, Zechariah. I just told you that this is going to happen. God's giving you this message. And so since you have this response, you have this doubt, you're not going to talk until your son is born. And so Zechariah doesn't talk until his son is born. And yet Mary expresses doubt here in our story, and yet the angel doesn't show any hint of disappointment. What's the difference? What's going on between the two? I love this about the Bible. The Bible is showing us there is, there is some interesting differences. There's some nuances here to doubt as it sees it. So, for instance, there's a kind of doubt that's closed-minded, as there is a kind of a doubt that is open-minded. With Zechariah, the kind of doubt that he had, obviously, was, was a closed-minded doubt. And Mary, same thing. How is this going to work? I don't know. It had a spirit of warmth, of openness. I kind of think about it. I was thinking about it this week. It's kind of like you know, a doubt that either leans into or away from God. Are you following me? This is kind of how it, it made sense to me. Like Zechariah, in him questioning, in the way he questioned the angel with similar news, was kind of a, did it with kind of a leaning away approach of doubt. And then Mary was kind of, well, I don't get this, but a kind of a lean into approach. Um, what does this mean that there's these different kind of like doubts and we're kind of understanding that even Mary is, is put up as a, as a wonderful example of, hey, you can have doubt, but, um, but um, God's not thrown by that? It, it seems to me that that's exactly it. God's not thrown by doubt. Um, there are plenty of churches today, and I'm not thinking of any in particular as I, as I share this, but there are plenty of churches today that you go there and it's either stated outright or it's stated implicitly that if you have any doubt, you're not being a good Christian. If you have any doubt, you're, you're doing something wrong. You following me? Maybe some of you have experienced that. But if that's the case, what about Mary? Mary's held up as this great example, and yet that's not what we see here. Mary considers, how will this be? I don't understand how it's going to play out, but I'm open. I want to. Would you show me? Would you help me? Um, 
Uh, Mary, Mary considers this, and, and, and even in the midst of her considering this, asking this question, having this doubt, the angel then takes it a, a, a next level. If you look at verse 35 through 37, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in, your sixth, in her sixth month. Uh, for no word from God will ever fail. I love this. Mary is saying, but how will this be? And the angel not only lays out, here's how it's going to play out. He also reassures her in two ways. Says, hey, you can be encouraged. You're going to see a sign that uh, your, your relative is going to have a child, even though she's late in age. And then, of course, this wonderful promise that if we even remotely uh, uh, have faith and believe in is as good as it gets. He says, no word from God will ever fail. The angel, in other words, is saying, hey, I know you have doubts, and I see that you're leaning into us. Don't worry. God's going to really work in this. Um, she considers, and as she has her doubts, in her doubts, she leans into God and his plan, while Zechariah leans away, is closed off to God and his plan, which leads me to ask the question, which kind of doubt do you have? What kind of doubts do you have? Um, finally, we see that she was, that, so she, she ponders, she considers, and then finally we see that she willingly surrenders. Uh, look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I love this. I don't, you know, however you, you, you view Mary here, um, you know, I, I think about that nativity scene where she's always just kind of the passive, like in the, in the middle scene. Here, she's just an absolute boss. I mean, to think that she responded in this way, like spiritually, is just like, doesn't get better than that. Uh, just the humility that she has. Um, she's pondering everything. She's considering everything. And now she surrenders. Uh, Mary didn't understand everything that, uh, that was going to go on. She had this question of doubt, but after working it through, even without knowing how it would all play out, the details, she was good to go. She was committed. She's all in. And what really is mind-boggling to me is that she had to have known that there was great cost in surrendering here. I mean, for instance, she was getting ready to have a child, and that's, that's crazy in itself. You mothers and mothers-to-be, that is, you guys are amazing. I mean, that, that's, that's a cause. That's a sacrifice. It's that's, a, that's an amazing thing. But just think about how that would have played out in her life. She would have started to show as she was still engaged. And that engagement would have lasted, from what we know, a lot longer. Um, and so she'd be showing, long before they were married, in a time in which if you were caught in adultery, you could be stoned. I mean, that's, that's, kind, of a, that's kind of a big deal. Um, and then I always, always, always laugh about this. I, I just think about her going and telling Joseph after this, like, Hey, I'm now with baby, but don't worry, the dad's God, so we're good, we're good, we're good. Um, I mean, you just think about how all these things played out, all the looks of shame that they had, all the things that they would have to navigate relationally, spiritually, all the whole thing, and yet, and yet Mary is like, I'm in, because she understands the beauty of what God was calling her into. Look, she probably didn't understand half of what we know the honor it was that she got to be play this part in history. And yet what she little she understood, she's like, this is too good to pass up. It is infinitely beyond me. I, if this is God's will for me, I, I am his servant. May it be. Uh, you know what she discovered in this moment? She discovered that God and his plan isn't, uh, isn't necessarily safe, but good. Those of you Chronicles of Narnia readers, you probably caught that reference. God's, there's a, um, 
uh, what is it, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Christ figure uh, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the C.S. Lewis book, uh, is this character, Aslan the, the Lion. And the children in the story just love him, always run into, I was going to say arms, into his mane um, and into his paws. And he's just the kind of the loving, the big lion, right, that takes care of the, the kids, and they, they always know they're safe around him. But every once in a while in these books, he asks them, he calls them into scenarios that uh, are scary, that feel unsafe. And at one point, one of the characters is saying, that doesn't feel safe. He's like, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Um, it is fascinating to me that Mary was getting ready to step into something. This is, I mean, this is such an understatement, right? Getting ready to step into something that's so beyond her amazing, loving, incredible. But because she was getting ready to do that, it was actually making her step into some uncomfortable things, some really hard things. But she was willing to step into that. She was willing to surrender. Uh, this is a fundamental part of the Christian faith of Christmas itself, but even the Christian faith. It, 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 there's a time in which, at some point, we have to surrender our will. So, for instance, for those of you who are here checking out the faith and trying to understand what it all means, um, there's a place where we have to make the step of saying, okay, I believe. Maybe we've been in a place where we've pondered for a while, we've considered, we've asked a lot of questions, we've worked through doubts. There has to come a place where are we going to step over that line of faith? Um, and I'll tell you, and any, any Christian in this room will tell you, that faith step, that line of faith, if that's what we'll call it, that's a scary step. That's a, what's going to happen to me? How's my life going to change? What, is, 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 is it going to get all weird on me at this point? If I step, like, there's all these scary things. What if he says something in my life that I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure about? Like, all these sorts of things, but I'll tell you, any Christian in here who has taken that step, looking back on that step, is like, that is, the, that is the best step that there is. It's better than anything we could ever hope or imagine. It's saying, you know, I've, I've pondered, I've considered, and I want to surrender my life to him. But surrendering is not just a one-time thing. Surrendering is not just one of those things where if you're looking into the faith, you step into it. absolutely is. But it's also, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, an ongoing thing. How do we, what, what does surrendering look like in your life? Maybe surrendering looks like in your life uh, getting baptized. Maybe it, it means you, you've, you've, you've thought about it um, and you understand that Jesus calls us to be baptized, but, but publicly declaring your faith in that way, telling your story um, un, with the understanding that really it's not the end of the day, your story, it's God's story in you. Or maybe for some of you, it's not just reading the Bible, but reading the Bible in trying to understand what it actually means in your life. Not just like going to the Bible intellectually or just for some encouragement, which that's, those, are, those are wonderful things, but actually trying to ask the question, okay, if this is true, and God, you, you, you have the best for me, what does this mean in my life? And maybe it's starting to apply it. Or maybe for some of you, you've walked with Jesus a long time, and there's an area in your life you're, you're really holding on to. Maybe you're making excuses or maybe you're, you're trying to make excuses, but it's the one area in your life, it's the one you're trying not to think about, even as I talk about it right now. Now you're just like, you know what? I, I just, I've been doing things my way. I don't want to surrender that. You've pondered, you've, cons- you've considered, but now will you surrender, understanding that God has his best for you, loves you, cares for you. What would this look like in your life? Um, you know, my, my favorite thing about the scriptures, and if you've been around here, you know this, because I can't help but, but, but share it this way uh, from time to time. My favorite part about the scriptures, and this is no exception, is that ultimately this is not a story about Mary. 
And ultimately, this is not a story about what you and I can learn from Mary. That's absolutely true. Otherwise, this sermon would be a waste of time. But it's not ultimately about those things. It's ultimately about her son, the promised one that, Je- that, that Jesus was coming into the world. That he would come and surrender his life, that we might have life. That's what this whole story is about. That's why we would even choose to surrender to begin with. It's pondering, it's considering his love made available to us. That he would come into the world as a baby. I mean, that's just an amazing thought. The most high, the son of the living God, the ruler, as the angel would say, of of kingdom that that, that will never end, coming as a crying baby, vulnerable, exposed, and ultimately for what purpose? To go to the cross, to be killed, to be the light in darkness, to bring life where there was uh, the land of the shadow of death. That's what Jesus came to do for us. That's what Jesus came to do for Mary, which we'll see next week. She actually, in her song, the first Christmas carol, she actually says, wow, my Lord and Savior, speaking of her baby, that is who Jesus is to her. That is who Jesus is to us if we would receive him. Um, would you ponder? Would you consider? Would you ponder? Would you take into heart today what he's done for you? Would you, would you let it kind of sink into your heart? And would you consider? Would you, would, you, would you wrestle through with your mind, knowing that he's not worried about you having doubts? He's not thrown by that. But I would just encourage you, what kind of doubts do you have? Are they, are they leaning away kind, or are they leaning towards? Wrestling with that, bringing that to him. And then finally, after pondering, after considering, will you surrender yourself, knowing that you're, you'd be surrendering yourself to the one who surrendered himself to you? Right, let's pray.